This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. to be ambassadors for Jesus, that we can honestly and boldly, publicly say, I am a believer in Jesus Christ. I am a Christian, not by name, not because my parents are Christian, not because my grandparents are Christians, not because I was born in a Christian home, but because I follow Jesus. I surrender my life to Jesus Christ, and I live for Him, and I want to have a clean, clear conscience and live honorably before God and among others. Once we're saved, then the Bible says that we are referred to as ambassadors of Christ. That means wherever we go in this world, we are representing Christ and His teachings. There should be a little weight to that call. In today's message, Pastor Eddie will be sharing about living a life that is an example to unbelievers. Is the way we're living our lives a good example to people who don't know about Jesus? Are we living something that's worth having? Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of Hebrews chapter 13. As he begins his message, prayer request, benediction, and farewell. Hebrews chapter 13, I'm going to look at the last passage there in verses 18 to 25. We want you to see for yourselves what we're reading and what we're studying. It's in the Bible. It's not just my wisdom, because I don't have much of it. It is not man's say, but this is what the Word of God says, so we could understand what this ancient book has for us today. So let us go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus. We thank you that the only way to eternal life is with you. There are many gods. There are many religions out there. And Lord, we're so grateful that your word tells us the truth. And we can see for ourselves as we study your word. You speak to us through your word. And we want to follow you for you said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man goes to the Father. No one goes to heaven except through Jesus Christ, through the cross. And so, Lord, we thank you. Lord, we ask, Lord, now as we are completing our study of this book, an incredible book, we ask, Lord Father, that you be our teacher. So, Lord, open up our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our minds to understand, and our heart ready to receive what your word has for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we conclude our study of the book of Hebrews with verses 18 to 25. And let us read this passage together, shall we? And then we'll look at it individually, verse by verse. So, the writer writes in verse 18, he writes, pray for us. For we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things, desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now, may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will." working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
And I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in few words. Know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you, and all the saints, those from Italy, greet you. Grace be with you all, and all God's people say, Amen. Now, for those of you who are taking notes, we're going to look at verses 18 to 25. In verses 18 and 19, the writer of the book of Hebrews will give us a prayer request. He's going to ask us to pray. So there's a prayer request in verses 18 and 19. In verses 20 and 21, the writer of Hebrew gives us a benediction, a benediction, and that's in verses 20 and 21. Verses 22 to 25, the writer of Hebrew gives his final greeting. And so we read the text. Let's now look at it verse by verse. Let's look at verse 18. He begins by asking a prayer. He says in verse 18, pray for us. Pray for us. That's his prayer request. And so as he closes out his letter, he's getting to that point. He's going to give us benediction, but he wants you and he wants the first readers of Hebrews to pray for them. Pray for us. Who is the us he's referring to? He includes himself. Who is the us here? Let's look at it in context. In context, he's speaking of the leaders, spiritual leaders. He's a spiritual leader himself, obviously. And we know that because when we read it in context, remember, the chapter and verse breaks in the Bible, you know, there is a context. We can't just take one verse and come with a conclusion of what the writer is trying to say. We need to read it in context, right? Like if you were to read a letter, read the paragraph. And so if we look at verse 7, in verse 7 is referring to rulers. He says in verse 7, to remember those who rule over you. In verse 17, he says, obey those who rule over you. Now he says in verse 18, pray for us. Pray for us. He goes on to say in verse 18, For we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. Now, this passage, as we've been studying the book of Hebrews, the writer never included his name. He never introduced himself, usually as they would in the letter. But people who believe this is the Apostle Paul. But we can see based on this, when he's referring to his conscience and he's desiring to live honorably, kind of echoes the Apostle Paul, doesn't it? Uh, we've seen a lot of things that refer that kind of gives you the hint. Now, this is the Apostle Paul style of writing. But this is one of those passages that many scholars believe that the Apostle Paul is the author of this letter. But Paul the Apostle said in Acts chapter 24, when he stood before one of the Roman governors named Felix. And in Acts 24, verse 16, he said this, This being so, he said, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense towards God and man. So this is pretty much sounds like Paul. But nonetheless, let's say if it's not, we leave the question open. It's what's important. The Bible, we realize, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so now it may very well be that the writer of Hebrews has been under attack by the very same group who are actually pushing the Jews who had converted to Christianity, the Jews who have found Jesus as the Messiah, is the same group that kind of attacking the 
author of this letter. So he says, I have a clear conscience. No matter what, I have a clear conscience before God, and I live honorably. So what I am saying, I'm giving it to you in clear conscience because I understand the word of God. And I'm trying to give you a picture that Jesus is better. All that we studied in the Old Testament and from the high priest, from the sacrifice of animals, was a picture of Christ. And so what he is doing here, he's saying, I have a clear conscience in what I am saying, and I want to live honorably. And I think that's important for all of us as believers in Christ, right? If we are to represent Christ, to be ambassadors for Jesus, that we can honestly and boldly, publicly say, I am a believer in Jesus Christ. I am a Christian, not by name, not because my parents are Christian, not because my grandparents are Christians, not because I was born in a Christian home, but because I follow Jesus. I surrender my life to Jesus Christ, and I live for him, and I want to have a clean clear conscience, and live honorably before God and among others. And so as rulers and spiritual leaders, the goal is much is given, much is required, right? There's a responsibility. And for myself, I know that as a pastor. I know I need to set the example. You, you don't hear stories about Pastor Eddie, you know, in the bar smoking and drinking. Not that, you know, those things are bad in itself, but you know that you don't hear someone say, well, you know, I bumped into Pastor Eddie and, you know, I didn't like his language, you know? Oh, he cut me off in the road. That I might do because I'm from New York, but I don't do that intentionally. I'm from the Bronx. And that's what happens. That's what you do in the Bronx. You try to get to point A to point B, even if it's a few feet away in the car. But the point is, I want to live honor because I want to set the example. I want to make sure that I honor God. You know, there's a lot of fake phony people. That's in the same way we're perfect. I'm not perfect at all. And I always say, you want to know, ask my wife. I'm not perfect. <laughs> But the reality is we want to live with a clean, clear conscience and live honorably. And everything we do, everything we say, everything we think, it should be with a clear conscience. Because one day, and one day very soon, every single one of us, every single one that's not a person in this room or outside or in this world throughout history, every single one of us will stand before Jesus. Every single one of us. For Christians, we will stand before the Bema Seat of Christ. Okay, there's two thrones. There's the Bema Seat of Christ, and that's where Christians are going to be judged based on the things they did. You know, not judgment unto condemnation, but we're saved, but we're going to, that's where we're going to get our rewards and rewards, okay? The crowns and the jewels and all that stuff, which is symbolic of those awards. And then there is that great white throne of judgment. And that is for those, reserved for those who have refused to follow Jesus Christ, who will be judged into eternal damnation. But he's, we're all going to be judged, every single one of us. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, he writes this, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's the Bema seat. That's Christians, not the great white throne of judgment in the book of Revelation. For those who have rejected them, that each one may receive the things done in the body while you are here on earth according to what he or she has done, whether good or bad. So we want to make sure that when we stand before the Lord, hey, we made it to heaven. That's great. But we want to honor him. We want to hear him say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. So we all will stand. So it's important that we do have a clean conscience and live honorably. Then he goes on in verse 19. 
He goes and says, but I especially urge you to do this, especially, that means to pray for us, that I may be restored to you sooner. Now, the writer wants to be restored to the group of people who he's writing to. And again, just a little background. He's writing to Jewish believers, Jews who have found that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah spoken of, fulfill all, almost 300 messianic prophecy of the Messiah. Jesus is where they accepted Christ now with the new covenant. And so because of their newfound faith in Jesus, they've been persecuted, they've been outcast, they've been ostracized by their family. And so he's writing to them. He wants to be restored to them, obviously to encourage them, to support them, to remind them that Jesus Christ is better. Now, it is unclear as to why he is separated from them. We can only but speculate, but he could be in prison. We don't know. Or maybe he had to leave, or maybe he decided to write to the first readers of Hebrews wherever he is. We're not too sure. Be that as it may, it is clearly obvious that the writer of Hebrew believes, and listen to this, the power of prayer. Power of prayer. He says, I especially urge you, I beseech you there, brethren, another translation would put it, to pray for us that I may be restored to you the sooner. And whatever it is that's causing him, that caused him to be separated, that's causing him from returning, he is praying for that. He believes in the power of prayer. He didn't say, hey, come out and rescue me. All right, set a SWAT team. And, you know, I'm like in a prison or something. No, he believes in the power of prayer. And he says, especially urge you to pray for us. And he believes in the power of prayer. It's only something that the power of prayer can do. He might be in a situation that may seem impossible, but nothing is impossible for the Lord. Absolutely nothing. And it takes prayer. And it's important for us to pray. So he's this prayer request, he's asking the first readers to pray. And we need to do that too as believers in Christ. When those are in need, you know, the writer of Hebrew earlier, he mentioned that let us pray for those who are being persecuted. We have this freedom in America here in the West to you know live and to worship freely. That seems like is being attacked more and more so. But there are other believers in Christ in other parts of the world that do not have the liberty, that cannot even have a Bible. They have to bury the Bible if they do have it because they would be persecuted, they would be imprisoned, and some of them even murdered if they found to have the Word of God. And so it's important for us to pray. There's nothing impossible. We need to pray for one another. Many times we know when there's a brother or sister who is sick, we need to be praying for them. You know, take the time out. Turn off the phone. You know, get on your knees. Get into your prayer closet. You know, just take away the distraction. Because sometimes we like to multitask, right? You know, we want instant God. We want, we got, you know, we got instant coffee, instant meals, and we want instant God. And so we try to multitask because we're so used to getting things quickly done and to the point where now that's not even fast enough. We have to multitask. It's time to separate and spend time. Turn off the phone, you know, turn off, you know, whatever it is that's going to distract. Get away into a place and pray for one another. And I can tell you how Truly, I'm grateful when I hear uh, many of you say, you know, Pastor, I'm praying for you. I really need it. (laughs) We all need it. I don't have it all together. You know, you think because I'm up here. No, you know, I like what John Corson would say. You know, we're all in the hospital. Every single one of us, even me. I'm not better than you. 
we're all in the hospital. We have those robes with the little string you type in the back. And depending what hospital you're in, you have those foam slippers, you know. I've probably been in the hospital a little bit longer, so that, that may say something, you know. I know when, who's the nice nurse, who's the nice doctors. I know when the food is coming, what to eat, what not to eat. That's it. But we're all in this hospital together. And as much as we all need prayer, I need prayer, because the enemy knows that if he attacks the pastor, they goes to church. I was raised up in church, and I've seen so many, you know, pastors fall. They fall, and they drifted away, or, or they disqualified themselves. And we see it, you know, on TV with some TV evangelists. You know, when I was a kid, I remember that, you know. And, and it really, it's really difficult because the enemy knows all he has to is hit one. doesn't have to attack all. I mean, yeah, the enemy always, you know, comes after us personally. But he'll come after, it's a big bullseye behind my back. But that's fine. As long as I have the Lord with me and I have fellow brothers and sisters praying, I greatly appreciate it. So I can understand the writer of Hebrews saying, pray for us. And I know there's other prayer needs, but we should be doing that. So in verses 18 and 19, he gives a prayer request. Now in verses 20 and 21, the writer is going to now give us a benediction after, you know, praying for them. Now he's going to be praying for those, the first readers of Hebrews, going to be praying for, for us. And this is considered, by the way, by many scholars, one of the most beautiful benedictions in the Bible. There are many benedictions in the Bible. This is considered the most beautiful, and that's because it kind of sums up, for those of you who understand the Word of God, it kind of sums up a few passages in the Scriptures, like Numbers 6, you know, may the Lord bless you, may He give you shalom, may His face shine upon you, that that verse. Also, 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and Jude verses 24 and 25, but also we see a number of major themes in this benediction. We see the words like peace, blood, covenant, resurrection, shepherd, and then the equip. All in just one simple, short, beautiful benediction. Let's read it. In verse 20, he says, May the God of peace, may the God of peace, we'll hold it there, may the God of peace, the definite article is the God of peace, not a God of peace. And we live in a world where there's so many religions, so many gods, and people are trying to find peace and they will find so many gods. But this is the definite article in the Greek. It says the God of peace, not a God of peace. And many of us here who surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, before we surrender our lives, we are at enmity with God. We are enemies of God. And then that's what the Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 22. And you who once were alienated, and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. We were enemies of God, but when we accepted Jesus Christ on the cross, when he sacrificed his life, died on the cross, now we become one with the Lord. And because of the work on the cross that Jesus has went on the cross for you and I, on our behalf, we know God and we know him as the God of peace. That's the God you serve, not just any God, the God of peace. And once you make peace with God, once you make peace with God, then and only then will you receive the peace from God. You receive God, you then you will have peace from God. Now we can experience peace temporarily, you know, throughout your life. You probably had a peace, you know, with family, in-laws, your neighbors, and you may have had a peaceful day. 
may have had a peace in making a decision in some part of your life. But it is a peace that's only temporary. It is a peace that cannot satisfy. You might have peace for a while, let's say with your family, your in-laws or, or your neighbors, but then next month or next year, here comes an argument. I see it all the time. There's no more peace because it's temporary. You see? But the peace that we have with God is true peace, you see, because it is the peace of God that lasts through trials and tribulation. It is a peace of God that lasts through persecution. It is a peace of God that lasts through all the troubles that you're going through, knowing that God is the peace. And Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 27, he said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, the world has a peace. Do I give to you? There is a peace. This world is a peace, peace, no justice, no peace, peace in the Middle East. Those are all temporary. Those are all conditional. But we're talking about inner peace. And it doesn't matter how the world is falling apart. And it's not dependent on man because, again, we can't trust man. Let every man be a liar, but let God Almighty be true. But there is only a peace that comes from Jesus Christ. So the reality is, and the fact is, no Jesus, no peace. And no Jesus and no peace. Because it goes beyond this. The, the peace of God goes beyond you know, the way we think. It's beyond this because peace is not on a circumstance, is not in a formula, is not in a format. Peace is in a person, the person, Jesus Christ. And that's what it, Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. For he, speaking of Jesus Christ himself, is our peace. And that's what we need to understand. As believers in Christ, those who surrender their lives to Christ, and now Christ dwells in your heart, there is a peace in your heart because Christ is in your heart, you see. It's really oxymoronic to say that a Christian doesn't have peace. Now, you may go through your trials and tribulations, but the fact that if peace is in a person and that person is in your heart, you will always have peace. You will always have peace. You receive Christ, he's in your heart, you will always have peace. Yeah, you know, when trials and tribulations come barreling in, and you will have your trials, and you have persecution, you go through some things, but we have a peace. Well, when you start thinking about the Lord, okay. That's, that's the point that I've gotten to, believe it or not. It took me a long time to realize, hey, it doesn't matter. God sits on the throne. All the scripture says, all things work together for good for those who love the Lord in Romans chapter 8, right? God is in control. So I may be dealing with certain circumstances in my life right now and it's in front of me, but I know out of all of that, God is going to turn it for good. Aren't you glad you decided to join us today on Running the Race? Pastor Eddie has been making his way through the book of Hebrews in a series, Jesus is Better. We're learning some great truths about Jesus coming to be all that the Old Testament had talked about. The strength of God's Word and how it's fulfilled is something mighty to ponder. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We pray that God's Word has been a discerner of your heart today. 
We're so glad you joined us for Running the Race. Running the Race is a radio ministry out of Calvary Chapel of Milford. If you're in the New York, New Jersey, or Pennsylvania area, Jessica has an invitation for you. We'd love to have you come join us at Calvary Chapel of Milford. We're conveniently located off Interstate 84 and Route 6. For service times and all the information you need, visit runningtheraceradio.com and click on the Back to Homepage button. While you're there, you can listen to this teaching again or explore more messages from Pastor Eddie. Again, that website is runningtheraceradio.com. Thanks, Jessica. Head over to runningtheraceradio.com to learn more about the church and hear more messages. Pastor Eddie has more to share with you in the book of Hebrews, so make sure you come back to hear more next time, here on Running the Race.